Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is here with, my name is here. No, my <laughs> name is Kevin Chenard. My name is not here. Uh, I am here with Glenn Willis. Uh, Glenn, what would you describe as the Hawks defensive game plan last night? Oh, um, you know, don't, don't pressure the ball ever. Uh, I guess I would just start with that. And that, that was probably like 80% of it uh, for me. Um, so, yeah, it was, I, I think probably their worst defensive game of the year. Um, although they've, they've been in challenging situations before where they haven't had the normal guys still the case, you know, to a decent degree in this game, but um, yeah, it's, it was weird that, um typically when they give a number like that the issue is points in the paint but that was not the issue uh, yeah i was gonna say uh, sorry to interrupt already but like, usually usually when there's a problem you know and obviously nate wasn't the coach last night but you know it, it'll end up with nate saying you know we need to keep the ball in front and it didn't really feel like that it wasn't didn't feel like a dribble penetration thing where they were just losing track of ball handlers and having it go in front of them. It it seemed more like uh, you know they didn't really know how to deal with the pick and roll and dribble handoff stuff and then get back to the shooters. Like it was just no no clue of 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 how to contest three point shots. Yeah, and I mean it was still an outlier shooting performance from those guys. I mean you know. Sure. Um, which which happens, but it's one thing to watch a game like the first Chicago game where DeRozan and others were making shots with hands in their face the whole game. That's not what happened in Portland. <laughs> no. no. Anthony <laughs> you know. Simons has seven three-pointers. Maybe it now is not the time to give him a big cushion and dare him to shoot. Yeah, and I mean, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, he's basically a guy who can create his own shot. He's he's a guy that most teams will challenge him to do something a little bit more complex than that, you know, creating a shot for somebody else, um, you know, reading a play and things like that. He's, um, you know, he came through IMG where their mm-hmm. one-on-one skills development is, is you know, a kind of their thing. Um, and that's who he is right now. Who knows, in a year or two more, he might be more than that, but that's kind of what he is. So, um it's it was frustrating uh to watch um even though still in the back of my head you know i'm watching herder out there i'm watching you know delon Wright out there and i i have no idea like what kind of how those guys are feeling you know in terms of wind and energy and then for the record delon said today that he felt pretty good yeah and i thought he looked he was the best so of all the perimeter yeah. defenders. He was clearly sure. the spryest. Right. For, um, for sure. But it, it was, I mean, uh, you know, even if we try to be a bit understanding about these guys, you know, coming back from being sick, I know there's some guys that have had symptoms. Some guys have it. I can't list who, who dealt with what. I don't know that anyone can, but even accounting for that, it was, uh, what happened was unacceptable, you know, um, I was curious if Prunty was going to turn to some of the guys that are on 10 days that have been playing, you know, at some point in the second half, and that just never happened. He really rode Gallo a lot longer than I probably would have in that situation. Not that I'll ever be even a substitute NBA coach, but, um, you know, but, you know, Prunty also probably was trying to think about what Nate would want, and Nate really believes in 
playing these guys to get their conditioning back, you know, through, you know, extended game minutes, you know, so there, there's, you know, multiple objectives at, at play there, but I, I felt like at a minimum um, kind of getting Gallo off the court uh, the last, I don't know, four or five minutes or something like that, where, you know, he's already, you know, at when he's feeling his best to really challenge def- defensively. And you know, I've talked about that quite a bit. And, you know, he was the one that kind of um, I've, I felt like was the, um, and it's not, it's not really fair to kind of put it all on him, but in terms of the guy that couldn't really kind of get to the spot where he needed, he was needed to be, you know, that, that, that late possession um, out of the timeout when uh, Prunty took Trey off the floor and had Gallo Juan had me scratching my head and things like that. So I, I thought there were some, you're not alone. Yeah. Um. But I thought there were some questionable coaching things, uh, you know, but like I said, you know, Nate believes in just playing these guys to get them back to into game shape. Um, and, but I mean, there's, I don't know what you do about the collective effort or lack of effort to um, challenge shooters, uh, except for, you know, do you turn to, you know, Chandra Brown or, you know, a few other guys like that, um, that, you know, have been playing, uh, you know, actual NBA minutes, you know, for a few weeks now. So I, I would, I would imagine Nate would have not gone that direction too, because of how much he believes in playing his guys to get them back in, in game shape. So it was an awful effort. It was unacceptable. Um, even if we, you know, kind of um, try to have some understanding for the situation. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of going with the theme of understanding it, you know, we don't, I don't think, I guess Kevin Herter has talked about having COVID and, uh, you know, I think he's, he described his symptoms as, I, I think, you know, uh, Kong who said his were rough. Uh, Delon right. said his were, you know, non-existent. Uh, I think Trey maybe had the, Trey mentioned just the smallest of things happening. And I think Kevin was maybe a little bit stronger than that, but I just thought, he played with no physicality. Like he just didn't look like he had it. Like his first step wasn't there. Everybody else's first step was beating his. And I I honestly think, you know, Gallinari, you know, Kevin, Kevin looked bad physically. Gallinari looked bad, like physically. And it like, it seemed like it, it took from his mental side too. Like, I think he was making mental gaffes, uh, which was really disturbing. Like it just looked like there were times when he was in the wrong spot. I think there was one where, you know, Trey had to, it looked like Trey was doing what he was supposed to on defense, kind of, uh, you know, Nurkic had the ball in the post, Capella guarding him, Trey goes over to double. It's kind of a three on two on the weak side. And Gallo's just in the wrong spot for where he needed to be to, to kind of space that out and cover the weak side. And yeah, I don't know, just, it was grim, but, you know, to go back to my original question, cause I think you kind of gave me like, you know, the dramatic answer just from like an X's and O's standpoint, like, okay, if you, if you go into that game and, and Portland's doing a lot of dribble handoff stuff with their bigs, especially Nurkic, you know, the, the, was the scheme there to play over? Like, I mean, I think when, when Trey was gardening, when Trey was guarding Simons, it, I think his designated assignment was to be chasing over, you know, Clint give, you know, just kind of the show and let Trey recover. That that was the scheme, right? That, that was that was what they're supposed to be executing. 
Yeah, for sure. That's what they were trying to do. I don't know if I could say they were doing it, but but that's the decision that they were making, and, and which which makes sense. I mean, when the Hawks team is at their best defensively, they're pushing ball handlers towards Clint, uh, you know, and and kind of try to you know use a little bit of help to kind of cut that space off. What was what was a little bit strange was that Simons was never really even, you know, showing any interest in going in that direction. He was really wanting to get to that step back. So he would, he would catch guys, you know, kind of working over the screen, let them kind of run past him and then he's a step back. And then he just made literally every shot, <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when he did that. So, he, I mean, it, it, I can watch a team, you know, in the first quarter or what have you, and see like, oh, wow, you know, Simon's is kind of making a lot of shots and he's letting these guys chasing over screens run by him. And he's got the timing really figured out um, almost regardless of who was chasing him over screens. Um, but then there was just never really any adjustment to, to change the angle. Yeah. Um, you know, things yeah, that, like that, that was what I had an issue with is like, you know, at some point, you know, take away him from take away Simon's going to his left. It's almost like you want to play the Lou Williams defense. Like you, like you would see a team guard Lou in the playoffs where, okay, if you get the ball, we're going to, you know, close out hard to your left. And if you do anything, it's going to be dribbling to your right, because it seemed like if he wasn't getting a wide open shot, he was, he was, you know, doing the typical right hand to kind of step back to his left and they needed to force him out of that. And, you know, they were lucky to get any contest, let alone a good one where they were, being scientific about taking away the strength of where he could go and get that shot. Yeah. I mean, typically you'll see a team do something like run right at his hip, run right at his left hip. If he, when mm-hmm. he's working right and he's coming that come in that direction. And just kind of like Hunter right? did with Luca in game one. Sorry, I keep it's, interrupting you. I need to like no, turn on the camera or something. And no, it's try fine. to time these better. This is the conversation. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, that's a great example of how, um, you know, Luca kind of had to probe laterally for you know most of that whole game, and that just never happened uh, oh. last night. You know, um, and and I mean, when I when I think back to you know their guard play, it was when Simons wasn't on the court. You know, um, there wasn't you know much of that going on. They were just running some pretty basic stuff to create shoot shots on the weak side, whether it was you know Nas Little or whoever it was. Uh, in those situations and stuff but I mean uh, you know the other thing that was um, a little bit baffling to me was it seems like um, in that situation you might want to get Trey to adjust his on off to get him maximum minutes when Simons was off but basically he mirrored Simons minutes the whole game Um, but it seems like there's an opportunity to kind of save a little bit of Trey's energy I know people were frustrated that he said. Well, they did have him guard little at some point, right? They they did, uh, but when they were basically close with him and Delon playing together, right? Um, and you know, for a long time though, when he was on with Delon, it was Delon uh, not on on Simons. Um, I'm trying to remember who that would have been. I guess it would have been Powell. Um, yeah. You know, and and that was frustrating to me. It's like why you know why are we doing that? But then the, the fact that um, they could have used all of the minutes Simons was off to have Trey on during those minutes. And I don't, and I think it wouldn't have been such a defensive challenge in those minutes. And then you could have gotten some of Trey's rest when Simons was on. 
Um, and I thought that was a missed opportunity to kind of, you know, play, you know, say DeLon and Herter together with Trey off during some of the Simons minutes so that they could have maybe had more impact. Not that Herter was, you know, very no, effective right. either, yeah. but at least you got some more size and, yep. you know, and someone who has some more defensive pedigree there. So, you know, I, there was a lot of things that kind of made me scratch my head, whether it was Gallo on on that late possession, not lining up Trey's minutes to be for when Simons was sitting, um, waiting so long to move DeLon onto Simons um, when he and Trey were on together versus Simons and Powell. And so all of that, I mean, it's funny because we haven't even touched on Trey's performance yet, but it I was made just, it. I was thinking that it's so sad. <laughs> I know it's so sad. Like, but but and, the, reality and the funny is, thing is, like you say, well, you know, the offense wasn't a problem. We we scored 131 points or whatever it is. You know, if I think that's that. I mean, when I say we, I'm quoting Prunty. I think he, you know, he right. whatever the total was, but Trey played like a perfect game on offense, like 131. You actually that that's disappointing. Like you missed so many threes. You played so bad when Trey was off the court. Like when when a guy plays that well on offense, like that's not a good night. That's like a ninety nine point nine nine percent like outlier offensive performance. Like you should have scored one forty eight. Like that's that's how sure. good he played on offense. Like offense kind of was the problem. Like in that, you know for. For Trey and Clint, how easy they were getting their buckets in the two-man game. Like, there's that natural inclination to slip a little bit on the defensive end because you're just getting the offense so easily. But when it wasn't them, you know, just like every other aspect of the offense was pretty dismal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy that Trey went for fifty-six and fourteen. Six and fourteen, yeah. Clint was ten for ten, I think. Yeah. Um, and those 14 is, assists, like 11 of them were layups or dunks. Like he, you know, they, they right. were like automatics, you know, just automatics. Like he wasn't, you know, getting it to somebody to, you know, take a challenge 17 footer or something like that. I mean, they were like gimmies because of how he was being covered. Yeah. And then, I mean, I thought Herter was better offensively than I expected. He was, he was pretty productive, but I mean, my goodness, Trey was drawing the entire attention of the defense. So, but that's what you want from Herder. I don't want to kind of you know discount Herder's performance because you want him punishing uh, the opposing defense when they're allocating you know a lot of their resources at Trey, which is like. And so I thought he uh, was fine, um, but I mean Gallo just couldn't make shots. Um, you know, Delon was when he's on with Trey was kind of mostly staying out of the way, getting into the corner, which is you know understandable. Uh, until Portland really started using, you know, a strong kind of blitzing uh, type technique. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, then it, it was, uh, you know, more choppy there. And, and you could tell in, in the really critical late possession that Trey felt like he had to be the one to take the shot when they were down multiple uh, scores uh, on that, um, you know, possession around the 32nd mark, somewhere right around there. And mm -hmm. he had like, I think at one point, three defenders, basically you know um right in his face and he was still kind of trying to figure out how he could get a shot up because no one else had generated confidence in him you know uh, throughout the game and that that possession took an eternity um and right. was just kind of ugly all around but yeah it's the defense was so bad that it was hard to like really fully enjoy what Trey was doing for me <laughs> while I was watching and that's that's really disappointing because <laughs> that that was Trey yeah. had that was an all timer 
performance tray, you know. So yeah, that was not your typical 56, like alas. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't Devin Booker having teammates foul down 20 points no in no, boston to get to 70 that was not that was a legitimate 56 and i love Devin booker but that was the garbage game <laughs> yeah no this was that was absurd it was i can't yeah and and honestly you know like big picture that's like the thing that i take away from this game it's like okay you know hurt her look bad on defense hurt or you know Gallinari was like bad in every kind of aspect on defense uh, other than Gallinari getting some deep post-ups you know his shots and hurt her shots were so short and it's just like okay first game back those, those shots aren't going to be short forever but like just the dichotomy be- between what was happening on offense what was happening on defense uh I just feel like Trey, you don't want your superstar to just have this sour taste in his mouth from that game from a long time. And you, you know, you're always, he's always going to remember that you're always, he's always going to remember the night that he had 56, unless he goes out and has like 60 tomorrow. And then which case maybe he does forget it at some point, but like, you know, if that's his career high game, he's always going to think about that game with this bitter pang of like, what the heck were they doing? Like, why didn't I get any support? Why when Nurkic plucked me out of the air uh, and and like (laughs) mangled the side of my arm? Like how how come nobody said anything? Like I just imagined that that was an unbelievably frustrating game for him. And, you know, that's like the one thing that, you know, when I think about this game 10 days from now that I'll remember is like, God, I hope this doesn't leave like some sour taste in his mouth that lingers. Yeah. I mean, I hope so too. Um, it, it seemed like with the timing after the game that there was potentially some frustration going on. I don't want to kind of guess at what was going on, but yeah, t- typically when there's delays, it's not, you know, for good reasons. I mean, who knows there's delays kind of, all the time. Yeah. What's the te- I mean, I assume, you know, there's testing to do before they can get to the airport, you know, so who really knows what's all factoring in there. But um, generally when media availability is slow, it's, it's, you know, usually because there's some conversation that needs to be had immediately, you know, or someone just needs to vent. I don't even you know? know. It's always slow. Guys are lifting weights. I mean, there's, it's, yeah. it's there are more slow than there are not slow. So I would never read anything into that. I just, that's, that's fair. I just, I mean, especially I'm, on the road. I'm just, I'm just going off logic, not off like the fact that things were slow. I just, yeah. I just try to think, okay, if I'm this person, what am I thinking? And it just, I don't know. It just seemed like every little thing that could have, you know, been a little pinprick in the side of his neck. And it seemed like it happened in that game. And it just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. One, I mean, one possible solution that maybe to kind of throw at you, um, it's something I heard quite a bit on tw- on Twitter after the game was, why can't a Kongu play at the four? Um, you know, I have my thoughts on the way they're the way they're developing him specifically to play at the five. They have they, they clearly do not prepare him to play at the four at all. Could he have survived one defensive possession at the four and kind of known what he needed to do? Um, you know, th- he's he's a one and done big man, very young. 
he's you know we've talked about how excited we are about him his potential and and already what he's shown on the court which is you know been you know really promising but I think that a lot of Hawks fans and specifically ones I heard from after the game when they were watching Gallo you know you know be the biggest problem for an important stretch of the game um ask questions like why can't a Congo play at the four with Clint the way JC does do you have any thoughts on that I mean I think that the ideal version of it is that you kind of split up the minutes where you have JC with a Kong Wu and, and Clint with Gallo more. I think that's more of the natural pairing that they eventually want to go for. And, you, you know, in that game, you don't have John. So that makes some, some net, you know, some bigger problems. I think offensively that, that would pose some problems, but when you've sure. one off defensive possession, like they had last night, absolutely. Yeah, they, they, they yeah. no doubt should have done that. Yeah, and I just wonder, you know, I mean, they gave Clint that extension, so it makes me wonder if next season, if we'll see a Kongu play, you know, some minutes at the four with Clint when JC's off. You know, I I'm don't know what the odds are that Gallo will be on the roster next year. That they have such a, a small guarantee. Um, you know, for next season and things like that. But, you know, I, I thought it was interesting to get that question, like, why can't a Kongu play at the four? I think you, I, I agree with you that that last defensive possession, I trust him there. Um, and and if, if a mistake is made, a mistake is made. It couldn't have been really any uglier than it ended, ended up with Gallo being, you know, yeah, I mean, he's useless. kind of a defensive savant. Like, he's, you know, he he's really unbelievable is. physically, but he's got it going, like, and he's yeah, like and a computer out there. Like he's, he, he, yeah. And the, the quick hands, the position, I mean, he reminds me so much of Paul Millsap in, in that, you know, I know he's a little bigger than the Millsap, but just how fast he is with his hands, how he sees everything and kind of, you know, and doesn't really miss an opportunity to kind of pounce and get a, get a shot at the ball. If the guy, if the guy he's defending isn't being super secure with it the way he sees things in advance and rotates and, and is in his spots. I mean, I, I know they're different players, but it just in terms of the attention, the detail and the nuance of defensive play and to, and to watch him and think this looks like in some areas, you know, prime Paul Millsap. And that is for him being year two, it's, it's just, it's wild how much he brings in, in those areas. So, you know, I, I am curious if next year, the minutes at center and power forward are going to be more heavily allocated towards the threesome of Capella, Collins, and Congru, which means that Congru probably plays some time uh, at the four. That has not been a developmental priority for Congru at all. And I, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I want to criticize that because they're getting so much ROI in the development investment for him at the center position. That's, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't want to challenge that plan. <laughs> I just wonder, like, at one at what point, like maybe next year, you know, could we see a little bit of a shift there? I I thought the optics of the game last night kind of threw that into question pretty naturally. People were like, where's the con? Why can't he do this, or why can't he be on for that possession? Which I thought was fair, but it is going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, since Capel's on that extension. You know, might they, you know, look at adjusting the way they, you know, man the minutes at the four and the five. When I threw that, when I had some conversation on Twitter last night, I got the question around, what about Jalen Johnson? Is he the natural four? I'm like, 
he's still so so far away from being ready to help i i mean i hope he's you know pro- progressed quite a bit by next year um but he really is uh, like co- literally completely lost on defense every minute he's on the court if they're in the zone he can he sometimes kind of is not so bad but it, it's gonna be interesting to see the direction they take um with the congru i think next year to see if he might you know be prepared to play a little bit of this time at the four yeah i think I think that's a next year thing. I, I just don't think he's played enough that they're going to do a whole lot of it. And of course, probably personnel based too, that, you know, you look at what you have with Collins and Gallinari and, and, you know, I just, like I said Hunter, before, yeah. I, I think that natural split is coming, but that's, that's a this year thing. Yep. You, He's, he's, he's going to be able to space the floor. Um, Agreed. And, you know, he has his, you know, his numbers from three to 12 feet or whatever are really good. Like he's making, I think it's 52% of his shots from three to 10 feet, which is a, a really good number. Right. You know, he's just so good with the soft baby. He's, he's got great touch on things that aren't just layups and dunks. Yeah. yeah and I, I think the thing that helps will help offensively at the four as it were it will be i think he's already an above average passer for the, at the position too yeah. you know which and i think that's going to end up being kind of a towering strength for him but i mean we talked the last time we recorded we talked about how powerful offensively the duo of Akangwu and jc are going to be um you know when they really kind of get that situated and, and to have the option to close with those two guys is going to be i think really something special um but i mean to to I think he's so good that they're going to have to find ways to get him more minutes than what your normal allocation for your backup center is going to give him. And that, I don't think that's a problem right now or an issue right now, but he, I think he just is going to bring too much value to be a guy playing what, like 18 minutes a game or something like that. Yeah. I I think you're onto something. And I, I do think that he will play more for next season. I think you're, you're getting to the right spot. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get too far afield here because I wanted to say a couple <laughs> other things before we leave yeah. this topic. But like Travis sure. sounded frustrated on the radio this morning, so you did. I don't want to, you know, other than like a Kongwu and Trey, like I don't want to make any grand assumptions of who's going to be here next year. But uh, when you mentioned Paul Millsap, I it it made me want to make a reference that's going to appeal to maybe three of our listeners or something like that. <laughs> but you know, he he reminds me a little bit of like Dave Cowens, hmm. where you know, you, you've got this six, eight guy who, you know, he's a little, he's bigger than Millsap. Millsap has unbelievably long arms, but like, right. you know, Kongwu is a little bit bigger, uh, you know, like Millsap, unbelievably strong, but I, th- I think you can get a little more rebounding out of him than, than somebody like Millsap when he's playing the five, uh, you know, Millsap was a great rebound. He's just like, just didn't have the size. Like what did he, he led the, he led the NCAA and like rebounding like three years or something absurd. Right. Right. Now, he had great rebounding instincts. He just wasn't really big enough to do it. Yeah, he's going to Cowens was was a you know had ridiculous rebounding numbers. Six eight could shoot from outside. Just unbelievably bouncy, so he could kind of deal with guys who were bigger in the way that a Kongu can. That's that's who he reminded me. And you know the Celtics got good things out of pairing him. You know if he was a four and a half, pairing him to another four and a half in Paul Silas. Um, and I think that's kind of what you have there with a Congo and Collins. I think that's a natural, natural pairing with those two. 
and it was yeah. really exciting to see the passing that we talked about in that last episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, 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 I you know, that's one that had not occurred to me. Um, I mean, that's got to go kind of in the wayback machine a little bit. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm yeah. older than you are, so I have no excuse for not. <laughs> like what a week? Did we just yeah. establish what that was? Uh, I think it was like a, a few months, I or months? something okay. like that. Yeah, but not not too much. But but um, you know. So, what the point is is I can't claim to not know who you're talking about. Right. Um, but when you know the listeners, but I mean, you know, everything's on YouTube. If you want to go, just kind of pop That's that true. name into, into YouTube and, and go take a look, you, you'll get an idea. Uh, you know, I think sometimes there's a a belief that none of this stuff was happening you know, before Draymond came into the league. And that's just not true. You know, there's been wonderful passing big men and, and you know, and, you know, guys that could kind of create uh, space and pull the opposing, you know, big man, uh, you know, away from the, the rim and things like that. And, but, you know, a little untraditional uh, in those days, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I kind of like your, your point there on Nilsap, you know, I, you know, awesome rebounder as a power four, but when, when he would get minutes at the five, he got matched up against like a DeAndre Jordan or something like that. It was pretty rough rebounding wise. And that's something that, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think a Congo is going to be fine, you know, in those tougher matchups, but I think, you know, still something I'm just kind of keeping an eye on yeah. uh, to see if he has you know issues against, you know, the toughest, uh, you know, the guys there, but I mean, you look at um, the way he played against, you know, Embiid in that Philly game was just incredible. <laughs> and then you look at guys in the league like, you know, you know, Jokic and, you know, his ability to kind of get on the perimeter and, uh, and I, you know, not, I'm not predicting he's, he's going to shut him down. Jokic is the MVP for a reason and he's still playing MVP level, but just a guy who can, you know, be you know, competent and kind of, you know, stay attached uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, you know, it's that's going to be you know really exciting uh and you know from last night's game that was you know his first game back from that stretch and they're still you know waiting for jc and you know i mean and jc brings so much defensively so much continuity you know to kind of mm-hmm. the things they're trying to do on the floor um uh that you know that's that was a part of what happened last night again not to not to throw that out as an excuse but just just a it's just a fact that they you know, really kind of missed that play at the four, um, you know, uh, on the defensive of the court. Um, so, you know, I, I can't wait till they get these yep. guys back. I hope we don't go through another round of this. You know, I mean, it's impossible to know what that is, but it's just going to be fun to, to see all these guys get back. And hopefully, you know, they'll pick up one or two ahead of tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, but the, but you were talking about Travis. So any big takeaway you had from Travis's remarks? Not really. I mean, uh, you know, I guess the one catchy phrase is maybe we shouldn't have brought everybody back or something like that. Right. Like, is that targeting somebody? Like, I still think that, you know, Lou Gallo, like, that's, it's just hard. Like, there's just something missing there. Uh, it, it's hard to get away with playing both of those guys defensively in the same lineups. Uh, um, you know, and I think part of it, it still strikes me though. Like part of the problem here is like, 
you kind of need the bench offense to be gangbusters. Like, I, I'm not even saying that right. That's not what I mean. It's like somehow the bench offense is such a disappointment that, like, you're going to get the opposing team's best offensive players because they don't feel like they have to put defensive-minded players on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, there are no guys on your bench that when you put them in there, they got to put in there all defense, no offensive guy to try to stop them. Like, Lou isn't getting enough done on offense that they have to put in some other world defensive stopper to guard him. So they're putting in their offensive players and then your defense stinks because, you know, they're not committing to playing bad offensive players who are good at defense. Like it's just this balance that you're always getting the other team's best offensive players because they don't feel like they have to use their defenders as much as they need to. Yeah. You're getting a lot of brand Forbes and exactly. And Mm and then like you get tight, like a Tyler Harrow in those minutes and, um, I would say his name wrong, Hero, uh, in those minutes and can't really do anything with him, you know, with his challenges and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Lou and Gallo is is basically just not functional right now defensively. Right. And, you know, last year there were games when they gave you enough offensively that it, it kind of balanced things out. I don't think it ever really got you ahead. Um in that sense. Um, but they're both a year older, um, you know, and that's just kind of how, how life works. You and I <laughs> both know that. Um, and, and so, it, it, but to me, my biggest criticism of what's going on there is it just, it looks to me like they don't have a plan. Uh, I mean, at least I, I know that coming into the season, the idea was that Lou and Gala would run the, you know, give you all the things you need on offense uh, on that second unit. But there was a lot of Gallo in the post trying to create mismatches, running a pick and roll, not to really kind of create a shot at the rim, but get a small guy in the Gallo. And because those guys are seemingly a little slower this year, all that stuff takes an eternity. And there's so many <laughs> shots being generated in the last like six seconds of the shot clock. It's just, it's not um, a blueprint you know, that's going to work. And so in my mind, they need to really go back to the drawing board and develop a completely different plan for what they're going to do offensively with the second unit. It, it would, you know, it would help if they had all their wings and Herder could be more present there, but it would, if they're still running these, this wedge slash cross screen for Gallo down the post or running the pick and roll to get the mismatch and running Gallo to the front of the work, that stuff just takes too long. And it's com- a completely different pace than what they have when Trey's on the court. And I feel like right. that really works against the continuity you want to see. Um, and so do they need to make a, uh, you know, do they need to trade for a different point guard? You know, what is the solution? You know, that's probably a whole podcast to, you know, to itself. And we're still far enough away from the trade deadline that we probably have some time to think about that and maybe eventually and we, have that you conversation. Know, but what we don't know is if they can, you know, can you run Lou on Yekka pick and roll? Like we still haven't had right. like ideal personnel where you can actually see that over a two game sample. Like we just, you know, the two, the shuffle of bodies is such that we haven't gotten that yet. I think we've gotten maybe one game with Lou and Onyeka together and, and they've looked Sounds pretty right. good together. Right. Like, so may, well, I guess, yeah, last night would have been the second game, but you know, it, they were both, you know, Onyeka didn't quite, you know, didn't look as good as, as he did before the break. And like he said, he definitely felt the symptoms. So I just, 
I think there could be something there. I mean, I think that's kind of loose strength as a point guard is that he's not really a point guard, but he can run a nice pick and roll. And, and Onyek is a good screener. He's a good roller. He's got great hands. Um, so maybe there is something there, uh, but we're going to have to see it because, you know, all, all other aspects of the bench have been pretty grim. And, and the funny thing is, is like at the beginning of the season, like any sort of chemistry that you might've gotten out of Lou and Gallo and the years that they played together in LA and all that stuff. It's like, it felt like Cam was disrupting the bench office. And then last night, you know, it's like, God, they need Cam. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's been, you know, he's been Trey had gotten Cam in a pretty good rhythm since Trey had gotten back. And, you know, I think Cam just generally speaking over the months of this season has gotten a little bit more integrated in terms of playing within the confines of what they want to do on offense. And, you know, for, for, for whatever Cam was taking away from the, the Lou and Gallo show, uh, if they wanted to, to prove that that had happened, they certainly didn't last night. In fact, it just felt like they needed Cam's ability to take something towards the rim and they, and they didn't have it. Last yeah. Night. And, and that, and that's what you think, like, you know, I don't know that Cam helps so much if Lou and Congo are running pick and roll. You know, who helps there is right. McDonavich is is really helpful there to, you know, you know, if if the opposing team is kind of tagging on a Congo really hard, you get that kind of a shooter on the weak side. That's that's a, and Lou can absolutely deliver those passes, no doubt about that. Sure. You know, um, but but then you know, just you know, does Nate trust Cam to play more with the first unit, you know, especially offensively? That's, that's something we're going to have to, to see. So, I mean, it's, it's been tough with all the wings, especially going in and out. Um, and when you watch a game last night, you know, you definitely are reminded like how much they miss DeAndre Hunter defensively, especially, <laughs> Right. Um, you know, I mean, he's been their de facto point guard defender in, in games like that. Yeah. I have no doubt he would have spent a ton of time on, on Simons. Um, I know that For fans sure. are kind of out on Hunter feeling like, Oh, he's never going to not be hurt, but I, you know, I, I don't feel that way, but I understand no. some frustration. And he's going to, and we know he's going to be a good defender when he's back. I think the question right. is, you know, what sort of offensive player do you get? Because I think that's been more inconsistent and, you know, with rust that goes away quicker and, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest issue is, you know, okay, you get DeAndre Hunter back, you know, it's a hand issue. It doesn't seem like necessarily, you know, it's not, if it's not his knee, this, you know, it's not, this isn't a recurrence of the knee issue. This is a hand thing. So like, right. yeah, it, I don't you. expect a recurrence. And, you know, at the same time, he hasn't been able to practice his offensive skills because he hasn't had the hand to do it. Right. So, you know, I, I'm more worried about offense, but I feel fairly certain that when he comes back, uh, he will be their instantly their best perimeter defender. Yeah, and and it might be one. I know that's not what they want because they were you know very intentionally developing him to be the guy that punishes mismatches when the other team cross you know cross matches mm -hmm. a bigger yep. win on the tray. And he was so good at that as rookie year. Didn't get to do so much of it last year just because of his availability and things like that. But he did. But it. <laughs> uh, he did do it. Yeah. When he was and in, then, yeah. Yeah, and then you know, and you even saw him. He played really well in the in the postseason before he went out. It was just a couple of games, but he was a difference maker. You know, kind of on both ends of the court. So you know, he definitely has a skill set that works offensively for what they want to do. The big question is the rhythm and can he play at the pace? Because he's a you know he can be a little methodical and his play can be a little choppy. Um, and Trey wants guys who are on time where they're supposed to be. I mean, his passes. 
you know, he can create a pass to any, you know, teammate in the half court on time on target. And he doesn't want really anybody late, you know, there, um, you know, which is why I continue to think Capella is way more important offensively than most fans realize because of how quickly he gets to the rim from the point of the screen and how good he is at slipping and things like that. But, you know, you and I have had that conversation, but, but, you know, I, you know, Herder brought a lot more defensive value in the playoffs last year than he's shown at any point so far this year. There's been a few flashes, but it's only been flashes in my opinion. Um, but if Hunter were there and, and and Herder were kind of like that next guy taking the next hardest, you know, perimeter um, guy, you know, then I think the, those guys kind of, you know, stack up well. Um, right. Not having your best guy, it, it slides, you Trickle know. down. Yeah, and so it's that's what they're dealing with but you know the issue against portland was sort of effort not changing the plan not changing the angles not you know finding some way to kind of get another hand in simon's face and and make him at least you know find a different way to create that shot you know and see if he keeps making it they they should have been able to do that with the personnel they had even with some guys you know being their first game back so let's let's hope that that's not something that is going to continue uh, on this you know, road trip um, that they're on out here in my territory on the West Coast. Um, but, you know, Sacramento will be an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, tomorrow night the, they, they can create um, shots in the perimeter, um, uh, you know, an above average clip. And they got guys like Hill that can – knockdown shots and, and things like that. So, um, you know, we'll get a chance to see, you know, Halliburton play. I know that a lot of Hawks fans were hoping that he would have landed with the, Haw- the Hawks. Um, but, you know, I think everyone's pretty pleased with a, a Kongu. It was just inter- always interesting to see a, a, a guy that was, you know, hoped for by a large part of the fan base. So this will be an opportunity to, to see that tomorrow night, is, along with three former Hawks centers, if I can include Tristan Thompson. That's one of those. We'll get to see Damien and Alex and Lynn. And I don't even remember when that happened. When was that? Why am that I drawing was, a blank? Um, well, they sent Bruno to Boston uh, with oh, some, something else fake, right. and then got there Thompson go. and then and rerouted him to Sacramento for Delon. There you go. So, yeah, he was a he was a hawk as long for about the same amount of time as Carlo Anthony was, I think. About the same. All right. Anything else you want to add? No, just I'm looking forward to watching the game tomorrow night. Hopefully, uh, you know, I think Trey, I don't think that was a one game aberration, not predicting 56 again, but Trey is playing. No, it's really, been a crescendo. Really, it wasn't just sure. a one game thing. Like you, over the last couple of weeks, it's been, yeah, it's but been building up. Yeah. Hopefully he plays. He's questionable, um, you know, but, you know, hopefully he plays. But you just, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know me, I'm an optimist. So I'm looking forward to getting more guys back, get more continuity and kind of figuring those things out, even with the the bigger issues that might take more time, like second get off. And so, you know, fun, the, the fun part is uh, there's doesn't take too long to get to see the next game if you want to get the taste of the last line of your mouth. All right. Well, thank you, Glenn. Have Thanks a good Kevin. night. And you. Yeah.